You're listening to HSBC Talks Business. Learn how businesses like yours are leveraging a wide range of banking solutions to maximize their success and how HSBC is helping them. Listeners should note that this episode has been recorded remotely, therefore the sound quality may vary. Thank you for listening. Hello, my name is Rob King, Head of Sustainable Finance at HSBC UK. Welcome to this special podcast where we're going to explore a topic at the forefront of the corporate agenda, setting and achieving net zero targets. The move to a more sustainable, resilient economy is an important strategic topic for business, and the mitigation of climate change is perhaps the most important topic in the sustainable finance sector. As we all know, in 2015, world leaders signed the Paris Climate Agreement, committing countries to transition to a lower carbon economy. And more recently, in 2019, the UK became the first major economy to legislate and commit to achieving net zero carbon emissions by 2050. This transformation or transition of the UK economy will require a substantial amount of investment with an additional capital spend of around £50 billion per annum expected. And this investment will be required across a wide range of sectors. The transition will see new technologies introduced and new business models emerge. For business, this offers, therefore, a huge opportunity, but may also present significant challenges. Businesses of all shapes and sizes have a role to play in the transition to net zero, and action on climate change will mark out the businesses who will succeed in a zero carbon future. And with the UK hosting COP26 this year, the focus on setting net zero ambitions is going to be greater than ever. From a HSBC point of view, the transition to net zero is one of our four key strategic pillars announced in our annual results at the end of February 2021. We have pledged to reduce finance emissions from our portfolio of customers to net zero by 2050 or sooner, in line with the goals of the Paris Agreement. And to do this, we're intensifying our support for customers to switch to more sustainable ways of doing business. Part of that support for business in the UK is our Net Zero Guide for Business, which we have produced in collaboration with Carbon Intelligence, a world-class team of experts who believe in business as a solution to a zero-carbon world. We hope to inspire change and support business in laying the foundations of an ambitious, credible carbon reduction strategy. We'll be sharing details on how to access the Net Zero Guide via our HSBC UK Sustainable Finance Hub at the end of this podcast. So, As we explore the journey to net zero in more detail and bring the guide to life, I'm delighted to be joined by Will Jenkins, who is a director at Carbon Intelligence, and Michaela Wright, who is head of corporate sustainability for HSBC UK. We'll firstly hear from Will Jenkins about some of the key steps businesses need to take in formulating a net zero strategy. Then I will join Will in a discussion looking at some of the common questions related to net zero. For firstly, if I may, I will hand over to Will. Thank you, Will. Thanks, Robert, and thanks to the wider team at HSBC for inviting me to join this podcast. Uh, it gives me great pleasure to present the work that we've done with the HSBC team and the creation of the Net Zero Guide for Business. What I'm here to do today is to provide an overview of what's in the guide and hopefully get you excited about reading it. I'm going to explain what Net Zero means for your business, how it can provide opportunities for value creation, and what you need to consider when you're developing your Net Zero strategy. Now, as Robert said earlier, we're going to discuss some of the challenges that you might face when you start looking at Net Zero for your company a bit later on. Now, before we get into that, I'd like to introduce the work we do at Carbon Intelligence. Our mission is to help business play its part in building a zero carbon world. We help companies achieve net zero in their own operations and across their value chains. And we help investors and asset managers transition their portfolios to net zero. We achieve this through our partnerships with clients and with industry initiatives to deliver impact. 
We're a team of about 100 climate and carbon specialists with backgrounds in strategy, engineering, data and technology. We set the world's first science-based target aligned to 1.5 degrees and we've supported about 40% of all UK companies that have 1.5 degree aligned targets. The guide we've produced with HSBC is a brilliant example of the commitment that we have to create thought leadership and to help businesses take practical steps to respond to the climate crisis. So what do we cover in this guide? Well, the purpose of this guide is to bring to life net zero. When we use the phrase net zero, we're describing two parallel pathways that a business needs to make progress on, a carbon reduction pathway and a carbon removal pathway. The carbon reduction pathway describes the decarbonization that's required in a company's carbon footprint over time. This is achieved by making changes to your operations, your supply chain, all the products that you create that lead to real world reductions in emissions. The carbon removals pathway describes the neutralization of any remaining emissions to balance a company's carbon footprint to zero. This is achieved by funding projects that directly remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. When we use the term net zero, we're not just talking about balancing your footprint to zero with carbon offsets. We're talking about a real commitment for rapid decarbonization in your own operations and across your value chain. So whereas carbon neutrality describes balancing emissions within a given year or a given reporting period, net zero is a longer term commitment to reduce your emissions to as close to zero as possible and neutralize residual emissions by removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. So how do you know the carbon reductions that you are committing to are credible and ambitious? Well, we advise clients to develop science-based targets to determine the trajectory of their carbon reduction pathway. Science-based targets are carbon reduction targets that are consistent with the aims of the Paris Agreement. So that means that they help companies to reduce their emissions in line with limiting warming to well below two degrees and pursue efforts to limit warming to 1.5 degrees. The Science-Based Targets Initiative is a collaboration between CDP, the UN Global Compact, the World Resources Institute and WWF. They got together in the run-up to the Paris Climate Conference back in 2015 to tell governments that were at the conference that business is ready to play its part in building a low-carbon world. The Science-Based Targets Initiative has developed methodologies, criteria and a target approval process so that companies can validate that their carbon reduction strategies are consistent with the goals of the Paris Agreement. This means that you can be confident that your company is taking responsibility for its fair share of decarbonisation and that your actions will deliver what's required to contribute to global climate goals. Science-based targets are rapidly being seen as best practice and the industry standard, and I believe there's now well over 1,000 companies committed. Uh, the rate of growth of companies committing to science-based targets and having their targets approved by the initiative is really remarkable and just shows what we can achieve when we work together. So for a bit of a recap, I've explained that net zero consists of two pathways, the carbon reduction pathway and the carbon removals pathway. And it's best practice to use science-based targets to define the carbon reduction pathway so that your net zero strategy is consistent with limiting warming to well below two degrees. There's quite a lot to take in there. So I do encourage you all to have a look at the guide where it goes into this in more detail and it has a few worked examples to bring these concepts to life. In the guide, we also explain the four critical questions that you all need to answer when developing your net zero strategy. So those questions, the first one, what carbon emissions are in the scope of our strategy? Where do you draw the boundary? Now, there's two things here that you need to think about. The first is your organizational boundary. So this means the legal entities, the parts of the company, the locations of your company that are in the scope of your emissions footprint. Um, the second thing to think about is your operational boundary. 
what emitting activities fall within that boundary. Are you just looking at your scope one and two emissions from your own operations? That means the energy that you use in your buildings, the fuel that's being used in your vehicles. Are you also looking at scope three emissions from upstream in your supply chain or downstream because of the way that customers use your products and generate emissions? So that's the first question then. What emissions are in the scope of your boundary? The second question is what is a credible emissions reductions pathway? Now this is where you should apply the science-based target methodologies and set your strategy in line with climate science. So you'll need to make a really important decision about whether you commit to limiting warming to well below two degrees or the more ambitious goal of 1.5 degrees. Now clearly 1.5 degrees targets require faster decarbonisation um, and will ultimately mean your emissions are lower. The third question then is, what is a credible emissions removals pathway? What type of projects will you fund to remove emissions from the atmosphere? This could involve nature-based solutions, investing in tree planting, peatland restoration, or marine carbon projects, for example. Or it could involve engineered solutions, projects like direct air carbon capture, or bioenergy with carbon capture and storage. Now, the fourth question is, what is a credible net zero timeline? At what point in the future is it credible for you to say that you've reached net zero? Would that be 2030, 2035, 2040 or beyond? This requires you to understand the residual emissions you expect to have in your footprint in the future. There will continue to be hard to abate emissions from activities like air travel, agriculture and many manufacturing processes. It also requires you to understand the availability and cost of projects to remove carbon emissions from the atmosphere. So this final one, when do we hit net zero? When is it credible to hit net zero? Is a really critical question that you need to understand as you develop your net zero strategy. Now, one of the things that we always get asked by companies that we work with is where is the value here? What's the business case? Why should we do this? When you're speaking to your leadership teams and trying to take what can be quite a technical subject to them in a way that they understand it, it's really important that you look at this from a value creation perspective. Now, for me, most leadership teams are either looking at this from a risk mitigation or a value creation perspective. And it's really important to work with them to understand where they sit on this issue. And there's going to be many opportunities to improve your brand, generate new revenue streams uh, and improve customer engagement. There will be opportunities to reduce cost. Um, is this about retaining and attracting the best talent to work for your company? There will also be risk mitigation benefits, perhaps reducing the risk of not meeting customer expectations or not meeting regulatory requirements. Many governments around the world have set net zero targets. And here in the UK, the government has committed to net zero by 2050. So that means every business operating in the UK needs to know how it can get to net zero before 2050. There's going to be carbon taxation and legislation to deliver on that goal. Ultimately, poor carbon management will introduce substantial risks for businesses. So I've taken you through the basics of what we mean by net zero, how science-based targets fit with net zero, the four critical questions that you need to answer when developing a net zero strategy, and how net zero can generate value for your business. We obviously go into much more detail on these concepts in the guide, so I really encourage you to take a look. I'm now going to hand over to Michaela. Thank you, Will. So I'm hoping that that's given everybody a good insight into um, just starting out. Where, where do you need to even get started when considering your net zero journey? I'm going to start, Will, as, as you've just done your presentation. It'd be great mm. to start with some questions for you. So um, and we were talking about challenges. So what are the main stumbling blocks that customers face in setting net zero strategies? Thanks, Michaela. Yeah, so the first thing that we always get 
um, faced with is um, the time horizons that we're talking about here. You know, most businesses are comfortable planning on a maybe a one or two or three year um, you know, time horizon. But for net zero, we're talking about a commitment that maybe 10, 15, 20 years in the future. Mm-hmm. And that requires a whole different way of thinking. You know, you probably don't know what your business is going to look like in five years, let alone 10 or 15 years. Um, so we really need to make sure that companies understand that we're, we're putting it up, you know, a, a flag in the sand a long way into the future. And we need to start thinking about how we break that journey down. So what do the next two or three years look like? You know, we're committing to this long-term vision of net zero, um, but we don't need to know all the answers right now. Um, so there's this kind of mindset shift that a lot of companies need to overcome um, from away from thinking in a kind of quarter by quarter or 12 month view into thinking much more longer term about what the future of their business could look like and what the future of their industry could look like. Um, But this is absolutely vital. You know, we know we are transitioning to a zero carbon economy in the next two or three decades. So all businesses that want to sustain for that period of time um, and already, you know, want to have a business that's resilient for during that transition they need to have these answers and need to start thinking about them so yeah we need to overcome that mindset shift Uh, the second big thing then is around data and information Um, a lot of companies have been looking at carbon emissions for a while now and perhaps reporting on their energy use on fuel that they use um, but maybe less so on their supply chain or maybe less so on the downstream impacts of their business. So if you're selling products to consumers, you know, what sort of impact does that have? So there's a lot of information that you need to get to first get an understanding of some of these new emitting activities. Uh, but that's an, an engagement opportunity. So for me, I see that as an ability, you know, a brilliant opportunity for you to start networking in your business or with suppliers, with customers, um, and to start really understanding how your business affects environment more holistically bringing people along on that journey with you so yeah those are the two big things for me a mindset shift and then how data can become an engagement opportunity yeah and we we often talk internally about just starting the conversation so that fits really nicely how do the companies you've worked with how do they get those commitments from internal stakeholders so a few examples there would be great Sure. Yeah. So for me, it's all about speaking the language of who you're trying to get commitment from. Um, you know, our, our C-suite, our executive teams, they've all got someone they're looking to impress or they've all got something that's keeping them up at, awake at night. So it's really about trying to understand where that pressure is coming from. So I work with a lot of professional services companies and often they are being asked this question by their major clients. So they might be advising, um, you know, major oil and gas companies, uh, major automotive companies, um, some of the largest tech companies, and they're starting to feel the pressure from their customers. Um, so I would really encourage you to understand where the demand's coming from. Um, another great place to look is investors as well. If your company has um, investors, either private or you know, public, sort of, um, you're a listed company. Um, often investors are demanding this sort of information now from companies that they're investing in. So if your yeah, CEO is up at night worried about what the shareholders are thinking, uh, this can be an, a, a good way to lever that, that driver. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's really about understanding where the demand's coming from, um, what's, what's making your leadership team either excited, you know, are they excited about growth or are they nervous, is there trouble that they're facing, um, and try and we align it so that you're talking their language and you're not talking um, about something that's completely not on their priority list at the moment. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. I think the language bit is important as well because it, mm. it's 
quite a daunting area. What, what do you think the implications of net zero are for smaller clients? So it, it can often be harder. They don't necessarily have a sustainability function or people mm-hmm. to think about this. So it'd be great yeah. if you could share some of that. Yeah, and you know, we, we hear that a lot from some of our clients who they don't have someone who's looking at this full time mm-hmm. um, and they're trying to build that momentum internally. So I think the, the first thing is that you're not on this journey alone. You know, this guide is a great example. There's a lot of fantastic information out there to help you make sense of this. Um, we're finding a lot that industry bodies, you know, trade associations are providing a, a real value to their members. So I would encourage you to go and look there as well. Uh, but also work with your customers and work with your suppliers. Uh, we can't solve these problems on our own. And I'm sure um, the companies that you're building strong relationships within your supply chain or with customers that you're working with, um, if they're corporates, if they're large corporates particularly, um, they will want to help you with this. You know, the thing that we've seen, the, probably the biggest change that we've seen in the industry in the last couple of years is companies wanting to understand the carbon impact of their supply chain. So if you're selling to a, a major company, they will be coming to you asking for information about your carbon emissions, but they'll definitely be expecting to help you with that Um, they want to make this easy for you they want to make it practical Um, so they'll be asking for things like you know do you have information on the energy that you use or carbon that's associated with the product or service that you're providing them Um, and then they'll be asking for information about what sort of targets you know do you have a policy that that kind of stuff so I would really reach out to suppliers customers that are being successful in this area um, speak to trade bodies and, and you know those member bodies that that can be really useful here as well um, and then finally I would definitely look at this as an opportunity um, I don't think you should be thinking about this as a you know another task to worry about or another resource requirement or pressure on your time um, this is a massive opportunity for your company if you're building strong partnerships and relationships with your customers if you do that well then you're really hard to displace because you're meeting their needs and they, and you might not be doing you know another competitor might not be doing that so well um, also there's huge cost savings that can come from decarbonization um, so we need to make sure that business case is really clear um, and then if you're innovating for you know certain customers or a certain demand um, but developing a new product or a new service then I'm sure that means there's other companies or you know people out there other consumers out there who want that product as well so there can def- definitely be new revenue streams from this so I think we need to w- move away from this being seen as a cost to a company as, as actually a, as an opportunity to generate income to generate value and to build much stronger partnerships and relationships with other companies in your value chain. Oh, that's really helpful. And I, I like the new opportunities and also the potential mm-hmm. savings as well. So, um, Rob, I don't know if you want to add anything there before I um, move into some questions for you. Did you want to say anything more on small businesses? Yeah, just just, just really quickly. I think I think Will's covered it really, really well. You know, I mean, small businesses are obviously such an important part of the economy in terms of the number of businesses and the number of people they, they employ. So they're, they're really important in all of this. Um, yeah, I echo, echo Will's point. You know, this is this is a huge opportunity. We've already seen startup emerge in, in certain sectors, such as EV charging. I'm sure we'll see that continue as the technologies emerge. For example, around you know around heating and you know sort of the technologies that appear as we as we decarbonise. And I think this whole thing about the supply chain is interesting. We've seen some evidence of that. We've seen our customers take action and invest in things like renewable energy. Which in part has been you know, driven, I think, by the commitments of some of the large buyers, such as such as supermarkets. And yeah, I also agree with Will. I think I think measuring progress is likely to be important for some of these 
for smaller companies so they can they can communicate that with their through their through their supply chain yeah and and lots of help out there hopefully from those large corporates to help their supply chain as yeah. well so yeah. yeah i think that's an important point so so rob yeah. i've got a few questions for you now so um yep. thinking back to us at hsbc so um so how, how can banks support businesses to invest in in new projects and processes that help them reduce their carbon footprint yeah I mean, the the most obvious thing for a large bank like HSBC is through is through through financing. There are other things as well, but let's let's start with that. Um, we do we do have a green loan proposition uh, for our corporate banking clients, and that that's available with a minimum loan size of three hundred thousand pounds. So we you know we are reaching down into that smaller business segment, um, and we we also make it available through different forms of lending, including asset finance. I think. You know, one of the interesting things about green loans is that we, you know, we tie it to to external market principles, the green loan principles, and th these are now the market recognised standards for green lending. And the aim, the aim of them is to demonstrate the environmental benefit of the of the asset or project that we're financing. I think it's really important and perhaps worth just sort of thinking about it, about it again. You know, the principles are asking the borrower to provide evidence of the po positive environmental benefit of the project to their bank. And how it fits in with the overall sustainability objectives of the borrower, and that I think that just really helps both parties deepen their relationship um, and start talking to each other about sustainability and transition. You know, it's something something different, something new, and I think it is interesting. And we've seen we've seen some of our clients who have gone through our green loan process, you know, reassess how they've evaluated the environmental benefit environmental benefit of a project, and through going through the green loan process, and it's also helped them. Sort of rethink their own internal processes on sustainability and, and project selection so there can be that positive side to it as well in addition to the financing itself i think also part of our role is this whole thing around uh, thought leadership hsbc you know we think is one of the leaders of this we have our center for sustainable finance which covers um some of the latest net zero trends and technologies so we look to things like hydrogen the hydrogen economy and carbon capture and storage yeah, I, th I think that's really helpful. The sort of the thought leadership here, I think Will said, you know, not all the pathways are mapped out right now. So um, yeah. a, a lot of people are looking to sort of future technologies as well and how that will help their businesses. So how, so as, as a bank, so how are we actually aligning our product offering to net zero strategies for our clients? So I, I think that's a bit deeper than the first question. Yeah, so there there are lending products which um, come you know can, you can align some of the features of those products to things like net zero strategies. So, I guess the best example I can think of at the minute is uh, the rise of uh, sustainability linked loans. Um, so that that product links the margin to um, the borrower meeting certain predetermined sustainability key performance indicators. It's typically a fairly small margin um, variation of around two to three, maybe slightly more basis points. And if the borrower meets the target, then the, the margin increases. And if they don't, then, uh, sorry, if the, margin, if the borrower meets the target, the margin goes down. And if they don't, then the margin goes up. So there's that kind of risk and uh, risk and reward benefit. And you know, it embeds the corporate sustainability strategy within their financing. Um, and we've seen lots of our borrowers access that market over the last um, last um, 12 to 18 months. And you know, if I look at the market size of, of this, um, during the first nine months of 2020, uh, we saw about 
77 billion dollars of sustainability linked loans issued and you know if you look back two or three years it was a, a market which was very very small so it's grown hugely over the last few years um again part of that i think has been through the market uh, coming up with principles around around sustainability linked loans which helps um, but I think it's also been, you know, the rise of the number of corporates who are setting themselves targets and looking to com communicate with their stakeholders about what they're trying to achieve. And you know, the stakeholders includes in includes their, their their financing partners. So actually, I think what you're saying, these products as well help communicate your strategy. So if you've got a green loan or sustainability linked loan, it, you can evidence how how you're achieving. So that's yeah, exactly. great. So why do we care? Why do banks care about the approach of their clients towards climate change? Yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so firstly, ultimately, it is it is the right thing to do, which is which is important. Um, we've talked about the opportunity. You know, it is it is huge. Um, uh, there are lots of numbers that are that are shared around the amount of investment required, but. You know, there's so much potential for new technology, new products, um, and you know banks have a significant part to play in financing that investment. Um, so you know we should be um, sort of central to, um, to to this transition and central to pro providing the financing. But we are also aware that with the opportunity comes come risk, um, climate risk. Um, so clearly physical risks that some businesses will face, so things like increased flooding or fire. Um, but maybe. Equally as important, or more importantly, particularly for the UK, is this whole thing around transition risk. So these are risks associated with transition to low carbon. So the things like changes in consumer preferences, technological change, reputational risk, or regulatory change. And banks are increasingly focused upon this, and our regulator is increasingly focused upon this as well. Um, and we're expecting the banking, um, the banking, many banks to be part of a climate stress test later this year. Uh, which will look at the resilience of uh, the financial system to climate-related shocks. So, you know, so we're looking at both sides of the bank. We're looking at the opportunity which is there. We're looking at the risk that we that, that we face as an institution. And you know, I, I guess it's probably fairly fairly obvious. But you know, the transition to zero carbon is such a huge transformative change to the global economy that financial institutions have just got such a key role to play in in enabling this. That's really good. So, Will, did you have anything else to add? Yeah, just to echo what, what Robert was saying about transition risk, I think we work with a lot of investors, a lot of asset managers, and they are more and more sophisticated now about how they're looking at climate risk and transition risk in their portfolios. And they are they are after information about um, yeah, how resilient those investments or those assets are to navigating this change. And I think the rate of change we're going to see in this decade, you know, companies that aren't um, ready to make that transition to low carbon, they'll get left behind. They'll be outcompeted. Um, and as a bank or as an investor, um, you don't want to be left with those those sorts of investments or those sorts of debts on your on your books because um, it's going to be a very expensive mistake, I think, in the future. Um, but I don't think we're that far away now before you know, carbon is, is materially priced in to a lot of these decisions that we're talking about. So, yeah, we can't just, you know, a lot of people ask me, well, why can't I just buy loads of offsets and forget about the problem? Well, actually, you're not helping your business transition to zero carbon. You're just setting it up to, um, to, to ex excessive cost over the next few years. And you're not building resilient, sustainable business that you can you know, hand over to the next management team or to the next person in your role um, and leave that legacy that, that I think is really important to most people um, for their professional, you know, their professional rep reputation. So yeah, we're, we're seeing a lot of that kind of coming down the line now from banks and investors and asset managers. 
Yeah, and I think at the crux of it all is I'd like to think we we do recognise it is a climate crisis. And if we don't all act, then there is, you know, there's no planet, there's no business. So, um, so fundamentally, it comes down to, you know, survival of the planet and survival of business. But we can all see um, what's ahead. Um, and, and we know from, you know, the government targets and the, the UK net zero by 2050 target, business is going to have to play its part. And I'm going to hand over to Rob now, and he's going to give us some closing remarks. Thank you. Thank you, Michaela. So to, to finish off today, so you can find much more information and more resources on sustainability, including accessing the Net Zero Guide itself, which we've been talking about today. So you can find that on the HSBC UK Sustainable Finance Hub. Um, and you can also find other insights on the HSBC Centre for Sustainable Finance. We are planning to look in more depth at practical steps to take to reach net zero in some key carbon intensive se sectors, such as agriculture, manufacturing, transport and real estate. And on the HSBC UK Sustainable Finance Hub, you're able to register to be informed of upcoming events. So I encourage, encourage you to register today to ensure that you don't miss out on that. So thank you once again to all our contributors today. That brings us to a close. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining us for HSBC Talks Business. 